Aloha, Cynthia Monteleon, and um, coming with another discussion for the warriors out there. And um, the topic today is sprint techniques for beginners. And I am so honored to have John McDowell with me, who uh, I consider to be a, definitely an expert in this topic. Um, so welcome, John, aloha. Uh, thank you very much. Glad to be here and looking forward to the chat. Yeah. Um, and so you're in Texas, um, I'm in Maui, and so I appreciate you making the time difference work and, and everything, especially with your busy schedule and your awesome new facility. So Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, and can you tell us just like a little bit about your background and, um, you know, your achievements and everything? Uh, so myself, I've been an avid, I've run basically my whole life. I started when I was 13 and I still run to this day. So it was always just a passion for me and I always enjoyed learning about it. I never knew that I would go into it to teach it and coach it, but um, it's been a fun journey to say the least. I went, I graduated from the University of Texas of, at Arlington and uh, ran the 110 meter hurdles there and 400 meter hurdles. And then I went on and did Olympic development training and from 2008 all the way through about 2013. So, and then kind of merged into personal training and uh, coaching at that point. So I've been basically doing this since I was 13. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's great. And um, yeah, that's a long time. And uh, we have something in common. I found you because we have the same mentor, Charles. So oh yeah, absolutely. So I learned a tremendous amount from him, especially coming from the track and field background and then going into kind of coaching and personal training. I pretty much studied under him the, from the first course I took uh, all the way until he passed, unfortunately. And I was going to that last metabolic analytics seminar that weekend prior, but um, it, the education and knowledge gained from him has just allowed me to really skyrocket the results I'm able to produce. So I'm very thankful to have, to have had that opportunity. Yeah, we're in the same boat on that because yeah. um, I, I know you're probably, you have the same type of stories that I do and that our athletes mm -hmm. and our clients are like, wow, you've changed my life, or I could have never done this without you. And we, like, I feel so grateful to Charles for all of that, because like you said, you, the word you used was results. And I feel like what he just, he had put in so many hours of experience and research that, that he shared with us, that we were able to shortcut, you know, in a way to the yeah. results, you know, and yeah, so yeah, that's what it comes down to is the results. Like, what kind of results are you getting? So, um, which is why I'm interviewing you today because um, my, you know, my passion right now is to help others thrive through sprinting. And so, as I mentioned in my book, you know, sprinting increases BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. So it makes our brain more plastic and uh, basically smarter and happier and all those things as opposed to uh, long, slow distance, which a lot of people do when they, you know, they yeah. turn 40 or something like this. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're like, I'm going to train for a marathon because they feel like they have to do something. And they, they don't know like, what, yeah, that's maybe the most accessible thing, you know, to do, uh, on their own. And I'm like, Hey, no, instead of like going to run miles around your neighborhood, just find maybe a hill or not even a hill and just do some, some sprints. But I think what people are finding, especially over age 40 is that where do I start? Like, how do I start? And I don't want to sure. pull a hamstring. Everybody want, thinks they're going to pull yeah. a hamstring. Um, so, um, right. So I, I, and then I counter and say, well, actually you're more likely to have overuse injuries from the 
the long, slow distance running, you know, so. Almost um, guaranteed. Yeah. So I guess my first question for you is like, how, how would you say somebody should start, especially maybe if they're, you know, um, master's age, we'll say like over, over 30, 30 to. Absolutely. So for sure, it's always, I'm a big proponent of take the long route, right? Because a lot of people, they want to, they, they would like to go tomorrow and run. Whereas the reality is, to really prepare the tissues of the body, to really prepare the fitness of the body, to handle the physics of running. It takes a while, but there's things that you can do that allow you to get this uh, sensation and feel those qualities while still kind of doing, without having to just go out and run or sprint and do full on workouts until your body's ready. And so at, even at our gym, the way it works is like essentially everybody goes through a dynamic warm up. You know, if they can walk there in some capacity, they're going to do a dynamic warm up because the biggest thing with running is we all know that it is not body weight when you're moving. As velocity picks up, it could be body weight times two, body weight times three, body weight times four. And we know that if people have been kind of sedentary and not working out and exercising, that those loads on those tissues are going to lead to overuse very quickly right? They lead to injury very quickly. So how can we build the resiliency of the body up to start to handle those contacts and those loads? And that's essentially through dynamic warmups. Okay. So start with um, a good dynamic warmup. I, I share one on my YouTube that, and, and I kind of made it extensive on purpose so that yeah, it almost sure. turns almost, into a workout, right? Almost mm-hmm. a workout in itself because, yes. um, but also mimicking, you know, some of the movements that are going to be happening and running. And why not? Um, I know why, but why not static stretching? Why not the old school hold, uh, yeah. hold and even worse, hold and bounce? Why not that anymore? Because maybe somebody in this generation yeah. has done that, you know, They're has grown up thinking, if I just keep stretching, then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, my muscles will be ready to sprint. So why not static? Yeah, the biggest thing with static is kind of desensitizes the tissue for for lack of terms. And what happens is when when the muscles fire, they have to contract very rapidly. They contract very rapidly. Well, when you stretch statically, especially after about 30 seconds, you you change that tension relationship. And what ends up happening is that muscle cannot fire as quickly as it's going to set up for some type of stress, trauma, or, or, or pull. Yes, exactly. So I found um, also that I had less injuries with my athletes when they stopped, you know, my high school athletes, particularly who was, you know, sometimes were stuck in that old fashioned way um, when they stopped static stretching. Uh, What about, well, this is kind of off on a tangent, but what about yoga? Because, um, so yoga for sprinters. So in a way you want this balance, right? You want to be able to be full range of motion, but at the same time, do you think that there could be some overstretching going on in yoga? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, we, with our athletes, we, we don't, they train with us essentially about eight to 10 hours a week. And so we do all the programming and the way it works is uh, we call weight training, uh, we call strength training loaded yoga. Loaded <laughs> so, I mean, yoga, happens, I love it. <laughs> so, so what happens is, as we all know, when the one of the most effective ways to actually increase mobility is is putting load on the body right and they've actually shown that weight training is just as effective as doing static stretching or some uh, yoga or other modalities of that nature because what happens is 
the all the sensory receptors and the Golgi tendon organs, all these mechanoreceptors that we have, they respond to load. And especially if you have any type of muscle mass, the load actually helps you get into a deeper position. And then that is set and, and rehearsed and repeated. And over time, that it, it leads to better mobility. So we actually use weight training to help with mobility versus just, you know, sit and, you know, sit on, sit down and touch a toe reaches and things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. I have a, um, a short, a short yoga series in my dynamic warmup, but the, but you always have to move through it for no longer yeah, than five well, seconds. So it's still staying yeah. dynamic, right? Exactly. But, and it's, yeah. very, it's very minimal. Um, yes. but yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of people think that you get stiffer and less mobile from lifting, right. but Absolutely. that therein lies who is your strength coach? Because um, sure. I know some of the split squats that I've seen from anyone who's polic and tra trained, yeah. you know, polic and trained coach, like that is some serious range of motion and For some sure. serious mobility. <laughs> so that's one of the limiting factors with you know sprinting is your, the I mean, if you're not mobile in that lumbo pelvic hip complex, the stride is going to be compromised in some degree, you know, and who, you know, who has to work harder from a running economy standpoint, a person who takes, let's say, an ex a beginner runner, somebody who takes 70 steps in 100 meters or somebody who takes 59 steps, you know, that person who's taking 70 steps, they're going to have to work at a much higher rate to turn over that quickly because their stride is shorter. So anything right. that we can do to help with those link tension relationships and open the body up, that's going to facilitate us to be a little bit more elastic. It's going to be beneficial to running economy. Right. So you like uh, the split squat then for something? Oh, like yeah. That. We yeah. do every variation, front foot, back foot, flat, safety bar, dumbbells, trap bar, open trap bar. Oh, they do awesome. Every variation. I they do walking. So. haven't done the trap bar ones yet, but I've done oh, all the other ones. Those, those are brutal. <laughs> Very, oh, very that sounds good. I'm gonna have to uh, put that on my list. <laughs> um, uh, of course, I have a great strength coach who is, you know, Malcolm William at uh, Source Performance. So he he keeps me definitely in tip top yeah, shape he keeps with you all. Honest sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we got off a little on a tangent, but um, I want to go back to like the dynamic warm up. Part of that is going to be some sort of sprint drill. Um, and Absolutely. I think maybe beginner sprinters don't know about sprint drills, which we can, you know, I can share separately, or I don't know if you have any programs that show sprint drills that they can sign up for, but um, like- Yeah, we never are, made it. What's that? We didn't, we've never made yeah, it, I don't believe. That might be something good for you to do. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably do a short video with the basics of sprint yeah. drills, um, but which I haven't done yet, but I'm, I definitely want to do that. But like, what are your favorite sprint drills um, that you might use in a warm up or something like that? And as a hurdler, like there's a there are a lot of great drills for mobility and for um, form. Right. But I guess um, a lot of beginner sprinters don't know about form, and so I think right. some of these drills help them. So, do you have some favorite drills that you like? Um, yes, and uh, we actually keep it very simple. Like even with our general population clients, like everybody will always do sprint drills just to warm up the body dynamically. And oh, we do three great. drills only, but we do do those three drills savagely well. You know, we master those three drills, and those three drills are basically the, the full range of motion of the running gait and cycle. And so we do a skip, we do a front side, we do a butt kick run, but it's front side dominant, and then okay. we do a high knee run. And if you understand 
the rhythm and the pattern of those drills, you can run with great running form. That's awesome. So just a basic okay. three. So we That's do those three. Cool. Even with our athletes, those are the three we master, and we will integrate other straight leg bounds and you know alternating a skips and things like that in more for timing and coordination issues, but not necessarily for teaching the fundamentals of running. Like it's a skip, frontside bucket, high knee run. And you truly have to understand where you are in space and time and how to coordinate those motions. That's awesome. And how many, like, uh, how many sets or how far do you go with those? With the kid, with the, with the kids, until it's right. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, like, if you're starting at like yeah, the starting no, line so, on the yeah, track, for sure, so. yeah, yeah like, for like general population, yeah. generally we'll go like 50 meters and back. Oh, 50 meters. So for kids, you just keep making them do it until they, well, it, until they get I mean, again, it's kind of because again, like, it, why run if they cannot show the fundamentals at a walking speed, right? Mm -hmm. So why, if we can't show it at a jogging speed, would it automatically happen running? No. So if we start to see basically. Um, you know, as Dan Papp says, viruses in the movement mechanics and movement flow, we got to, we got to clean those up. We, we got to clean those things out. And so we'll spend more time, especially as the year starts and they're new, we spend a disproportionate amount of time actually working on position and technique, and then we'll do a bit of running. And then that, that older year, as they begin to understand where they are in space and how they're moving, it's obviously the warm up. It's a warm up, and we're off to work. But, um, for, for uh, average distance, this is going to be about 15 meters, but that 15 meters needs to be hard and it needs to be intense. Right. So 15, like, one, one, five or five, zero. Yeah. Five. One, five. And then walk back recovery, or they could come back just depending on kind of your goal and agenda for that day. And then how many sets of that? Like, so say if they're, they're going 15 meters and then walking. Right. Yeah. I mean, generally in context of the whole warm up, they would do two of each. Two of each, okay. And yeah, then some for athletes, it would be kind of just depending on the day. It could be two right. to four on each one of those drills, just depending on how they're moving. Are they sluggish on the ground? Are they quick? And so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, this is uh, uh, just popped in my mind too. I also changed the warm up for my athletes a while back from any kind of jogging uh, for my sprinters. Like, so I think the old school way too, especially for younger athletes and maybe for beginning athletes is to take a two lap jog around the track. Right. Now, I eliminated that. And the, instead they do kind of like some, some buildups um, at the beginning and then they warm up some more and then they do some more buildups um, as opposed to this slow jogging around the track. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, so I mean, I, so I, I was fortunate enough to train with uh, Dr. Mike Young. At a, he's at the Athletic Lab in Cary, North Carolina. He has an Olympic development program. And I trained there for three years. And I mean, his design and structure is one of the best as far as I've seen in um, setting the body up to be prepared to run. And essentially, like, instead of just doing the slow rhythmic jogging, we would cover those same distances in our warm-up but it would be uh, in different planes of motion, frontal, right. satchel, transverse. And so we're going front skip, back skip, side shuffle, skip lunge. We're doing different karaoke. We're doing di different motor patterns and all the planes of motion to really get the body warm. And instead of just this, this uh, you know, trundling and trotting around the track. And right. so I think, and we did that to bias and still get some aerobic capacity in and be able to, uh, uh, dedicate more time of the actual session to sprinting. 
So that our warm up would almost go, you know, 15 plus minutes straight through until we got to sprint drills of constant motion. Mm-hmm. So that's more than enough aerobic activity to keep the base for a sprinter. So that was, yeah. uh, I really like that approach and we still keep that. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the dynamic warm up I have on my YouTube is about 15 to 20 minutes, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and also there's the, the notion that you don't want to ever train those slow twitch mus- mm-hmm. muscle fibers. No. Right? So I think a lot of people forget that if you're not training the fast twitch, and you're doing things that are long and slow and steady, then you're maybe training the slow twitch and uh, you don't want to do that for maximum optimal performance, right? Right, yeah. I mean, you you want to always keep context around those buckets uh, that you have to have to achieve. And so outside of what you said, I mean, that's more than enough to keep a good solid aerobic base that's going to give you a big platform to build that anaerobic base off of. Yeah, awesome, cool. <laughs> Um, all right, so we have like a, let's see, a beginning sprinter who, so there were definitely warm up sprint drills. And then um, what, I guess my next question is what helps create proper sprinting form from the beginning of a run to the end? So when someone's like, what should my form look like? Um, to me, that's kind of, well, uh, I like to use the example of say a hundred meters because it depends on the distance, right? But right. Uh, you're going to have a drive phase and then a transition and then a, you know a top speed phase. And so for a beginning sprinter, um, and by the way, like when I give them workouts on my warrior community and things like that, nobody's ever going at a hundred percent, really. Right. Like they're going, yeah. you know, it takes a long time. Yeah, they're and they're going from seventy to eighty, maybe to yeah. ninety at some point after right. a few reps, but not oh never 100% right out of the gate and so um so I mean that's going to affect form but I'd rather them work on their form at 70% uh and then you know gradually increase so Mm -hmm. as to also prevent injury but okay that being said so say you have 100 meters and um you're driving out the drive phase like do you have any suggestions of what your what your form should look like from the beginning to the end you can pick wherever whatever yeah, so, I know I mean, it's I like that's it's, probably a three-hour conversation and a coaching yeah. you know coaching for years and it's not right right but it's uh but what it, are we looking like for because they have no idea sometimes I I you know I, sure. I give them the cues of where their hands right. and things like that but what do you think so I always we try to keep it we say we try to say a lot with a little and the biggest thing and one thing that I always really liked was Tom Tales he said you're pushing the track back or you're pushing down but either way you're pushing and so what ends up happening is a bleed or a transition from the acceleration phase all the way up into their max velocity phase and so as you just said in that drive phase they're essentially at some degree of an angle you know they'll start off at 45 and then they work up to 55 65 75 85 you know then they get in the full upright position but what happens with the shape and the position of the body is gone for the most part, if you took a good acceleration athlete in acceleration, you turn that picture up like this, generally they're gonna look the same as in max velocity. So you shouldn't see a ton of difference in your shapes and your positions, especially for someone who's kind of just beginning and, 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 and um, newer to running. The biggest things you wanna see is if anything, they should look like what they would look like on high knee run. Okay. That's what the maximum velocity is gonna look like because they're gonna spin if it's kind of a newer runner, you know, in a hundred meters, most likely it's going to be 85 
to you know 75 meters is going to be fully upright right and at that right. point because what it should more or less so look like is is that upright high knee running mechanics to keep it simple for them so because they're not they don't quite have maybe the strength to keep that dry phase very long right um yeah okay so um so would you say at the top speed like they should at one cue would be for them to try to keep their knees up like that high knee action yeah like so i would say maybe I've, I've seen a lot of people like their their hips fatigue maybe and they right. their knees drop so right. so the biggest thing uh, is action reaction and i always use the analogy of a hammer if i took a hammer and i swung it down hard and, and you know hit the you know hit, hit rubber or something what would that hammer do it would bounce back up it would ricochet and so the the way the body works is through what's called pre-activation and um the foot turns into like a head of a hammer. So if they accelerate that foot straight down to the ground, boom, it pops back up. And that's that elastic recoil of energy that can lift that knee up for free. And so that's gonna improve their running economy big time. And so I generally, we try to say down, 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 like get down. Pushing, versus, pushing uh, down. Because if you're thinking up, you're physically trying to pull uh. the knees up which you're gonna get, that will make anybody tired 50, 60 meters in. And so think about punching the ground, hammer to a nail, and um, they get that ricochet of free energy and it lifts the body back in position, then all they have to do is work the downside. So right. we try to teach that and get them to feel that and then use some type of cueing or word that can uh, get them back to that concept. Do you have any favorite cues that you- Yeah, so it's, it's really, I literally, with every athlete that got a different cue and the way it works is they I, I speak to them in their language it, I, they run and if it's right i say what did you feel it was one word and they, they'll start talking in sentences i say oh, uh, i want one word it was uh -huh. punch it was push mm. it was down and then we keep it simple so i want a paragraph in one word and so once it, we we do that we start to see more reps that look the way we want to look once we start to quiet the mind that's really awesome advice. Um, and uh, back to like, kind of like the whole thing together, the drills and everything. So if you're a beginner sprinter uh, over 40, say, or over 30, and you don't have a coach, but maybe they should look for a coach. But if they don't have a coach, then what do you think about like maybe videoing? Should they video their drills and their form and compare it? Yes, I, I mean, to this day, I still video almost every workout. <laughs> I, I got one of those drones that can follow you. Oh, that's fancy. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I, I, and it's been the best investment because I'm able to really see things you could never see. So I'll, sometimes I'll feel from the front, I'll feel from the side, sometimes I feel from behind. And, and, and I'll tell anybody is set that phone up and really look at your positions and shapes. And um, I'm sure you got a lot of resources, but what we did is we got the Atlas Kinogram, which is just the six primary motions that the body should go through in a running cycle. Uh -huh. And what you can do is there's a free app, guys, it's called Coach's Eye. You go download the Coach's Eye app, it's very free. And you, you film yourself from the side and then put the video in the app and you can just go frame by frame by frame and compare yourself to some of these images and resources that are, that are already out there. And um, that's how anybody can teach themselves to move better and run better with better technique. That's golden advice. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. That's really good because, um, again, like we're we've been doing this for years, so it's yes. kind of ingrained in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. But but yeah. 
that being said, I like to also stress to my athletes always that it's always a work in progress. Like always never, to the day. You're never not done. Like you're never perfect. Like no. whether it be block starts or mm-hmm. the end of your race. Like my my thing is I uh, scrunch up at the end of my 200. Sometimes at the end of my 400, right. when I get tired, my shoulders come up. So I'm always trying to think about you know relaxing my face, relaxing my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making sure it's all loose. Yeah. Um, so it's like uh, it's never over. So don't think okay overnight you're going to be a sprinter no. and it's going to be perfect. Like we're always working on it, uh, which is the yeah. beauty of it too, because you're always in that in that journey and you always get these little rewards. Um, yeah, I mean you, we think in hundreds and tens. You know, mm-hmm. if you can improve 0.01 and do that for 30 steps, that's 0.3 of a second. So right, we it's we so minute of things that have the biggest impact, and so it's an art form and it takes years to develop. Yes. We talked about that a couple of years ago. I think um, we were, you were calculating how I could yeah. reach my goal in my 400 sure. <laughs> just based on, you know, the strength of how I'm hitting the track. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. I'm stronger with that push and right. also the turnover that, you know, how yes. fast I'm. So, you know, that was so cool that you did that, that calculation for me. If mm-hmm. I just improved by this tiny, tiny really? bit, with every like step. Then, then all of a sudden I'm two seconds faster like it's yeah. it was really it's cool. crazy it's crazy yeah. and so um that same uh, hypothesis is kind of what I've been working on the last two years and um you know it's still in in the works but we've seen tremendous results so far even for myself and for all the athletes we work with so we had some really good results this year and um we we take it down into those bite-sized chunks that are doable. It's like I want 0.005 improvement. Yes, that's so cool. Literally, 0.005. And they don't do anything else. And you always start. Say they have six things they're doing suboptimally. Well, pick the thing that's the worst. Mm-hmm. That's gonna have the biggest impact. What, okay. What do you what do you see as the worst sometimes? And like especially maybe well, older athletes that are starting like or, yeah, or so you know, maybe in our high schoolers too. Absolutely. So we work with a lot of adults. Thing all the time. <laughs> we work with a lot of adults. We work with a lot of uh, youth athletes. And so, interestingly enough, strength is a mother of all qualities. And so, last year with COVID, our gym got shut down. You know, everything was shut down. We were at, we could go outside, and so we were outside for a good portion of the year. I mean, we would run outside three, four days a week with the athletes. Well, they started to plateau and hit a threshold point. Okay. So, so I'm not a big fan of uh, doing the same thing, expecting different results, right? So I saw limitations in what they were able to achieve. And so I said, okay, we're not doing this again. So the last six months or so, we only lifted weights. We uh-huh. lifted, now, now, now in our gym, guys, we have skill meals. We have the non-motorized treadmills. We have all the modalities. So we're able to still kind of sprint and do posture and position. And we always warm up with the dynamic, uh, uh, dynamic warm-ups and sprint drills. But predominantly, we, we really focus on getting the athletes strong and strong to their height. And so there's an interesting uh, research from uh, Dr. Uh, Ken Clark. He uh, got his PhD at SMU Locomotion Lab. And then he's at Westchester University now. But it's, it's very interesting. They show that for every athlete, depending on their height, there's a certain level of strength that they have to apply to reach their optimal stride length. And they showed that the shorter you are, the stronger you have to be. The Uh taller you are, the less strength you need. And we all know this because they have longer tendons, they have a little bit more elasticity, but they they can leverage the the length of their leg. 
Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of talked about, stride length is a big determinant of speed. And so for us, we really focused on strength the last six months. And um, we actually ran for the first time with some of the kids on Tuesday. And they either matched their lifetime best or wow. exceeded, some of them exceeded by 0.3, 0.4 of a second. Wow, and we haven't cool. run. And so, so with saying that, it goes back to the beginner athlete and the beginner uh, master's athlete. You don't want to shortchange your, your strength and conditioning because running is force and physics dependent. And so if we can't put big forces in the ground, it takes us longer to do that, right? And so if I land on the ground, I have to put down two, three times body weight, four times body weight, period. The mm-hmm. only difference that's gonna separate the elite sprinter and somebody just starting is how long that takes. You saying Boulder takes 0.08, um, you know, Joey who just started, it could take him 0.32, mm-hmm. but they both put down the same amount of force, okay? And so that's what the very interesting is. You don't wanna, you have to have that body strong to handle the loads. And you will see that most people run faster by integrating in some some strength training, plyometric training, and um, getting closer to where they should be on those norms. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, And um, so strength training wise, for someone just starting, would you say three times a week or four times a week? or mix it up or what, you know, depending on where they are, what would you say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, depending on where they are, you know, Coach Poliquin always say, when you go from three workouts to four, you will get 50% faster results. And I have seen that for sure. It's crazy. When you go from three workouts to four, one day day is 50% faster results. And it is true. So if they got four days to allocate, I would do hybrid sessions to where they do some type of dynamic warm-up at the start. They can bias the the high knee runs and some of those different activities as low-level plyometrics to start to strengthen the body dynamically. And then they can finish up with strength training. And then that, that, that may be a, you know, a one, that could be a two to three month programming. And then they can start to go outside. And when they go outside, they're going to be injury free. They're going to feel probably better than they felt in high school. Yeah. I, okay. Uh, so I 45 and I started when I was 40 um, back on the track after 20 years of mm-hmm. not, over 20 years of not running. Um, I think I jogged with friends a couple times. So I really was, I was having three kids. My bones were, you know, totally moved all over the place. Um, So I got back on, I was very weak. So like, Mm -hmm. I just like to stress to people like this, you know, my running did not happen overnight. Like I worked really hard and definitely of course was uh, strength training, but I remember Mm -hmm. about a year into it, or maybe it was about two, one, a year and a half into it. My coach, one day I was running and my coach after the interval said to me, um, did you miss strength training this week? And I was like, oh, how did he know? Oh my gosh. Like, I was like, yes, like, it was the only week that I had missed or that right. week, earlier that week I had missed my workouts and he could see with his eye hmm. that I had not st- uh, been strength. Right. Training. Yeah. You'll see longer ground t- contact times. You'll see less bounce. Yeah. He could tell the difference in my running form that, and then he said, Oh, no, you know, you got to keep up with that because, you know, you'll, you're asking for injury, if not. And that's definitely what I've right. seen is that um, the, the better you can keep up with the strength training. But I think a lot of masters athletes maybe forget about that. Um, yes. And they think that they can just run for their workout or, you know, like just repetitive 
um, intervals will keep them strong enough. But no, I think especially when they're not, yeah, especially when they're not in competition. Um, and as we're aging, we're losing muscle mass. So sarcopenia, dynopenia. Wow. Um, so it's especially important to, to keep that, that strength training going for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So I would say, okay, what other sprint techniques will help develop the beginner sprinter to set them up for success in the long term? We've kind of talked about a lot of different things, but I guess, you know, long term, again, they think it's going to happen overnight, but right. any other advice that you can yes. give? Like for the long term, for sure, um, developing the coordination and rhythm within the high knee drill is going to be critical and like i said even for a lot of them they don't run initially because their muscles are ready to handle those loads that they're going to occur like the the gas drop intakes three times body weight at uh seven meters per second which is basically what a, somebody could get up to but how long could they stay there the mm -hmm. soleus takes seven times body weight at that velocity they did this study in 2012 um and then they show the hamstring takes up to 10 times load. That's why the hamstring goes so quickly. If it can't handle those repeat efforts, then there's going to be a muscle strain, right? It's going to tissue will break down. And also and so, the, the high knee drill, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm mm -hmm. just thinking like when, I, when I'm picturing the high knee drill, um, you're also forced to land on the ball of your foot in that drill, mm -hmm. which yes. I think a lot of people mistakenly are landing on their heels when they start. Right. Oh yeah. Well, this is, you know, the easy, easiest way to fix that without coaching. Cause we, we work with a lot of people at once, especially with kids. So we don't have, uh, we cannot break it down. So, so it's like, so somebody does that, it's like, take your shoes off and do it. They fix it within three steps. And the reason why is your body, the kinematics of how you're moving, you will not touch that heel to the ground. So if you think about it, if you stood on a bench or, or a chair, you know, that's knee height, and I told you to drop down, how would you land? Right, yeah. For sure on the ball of the foot, is yeah. no way if you were barefoot that you would land on a heel. Right. But because we, they, they have a very thick cushion shoes. Oh, so you, you think can it's land shoes. like that. Okay. Yes, uh -huh. you have those thick cushion shoes, you can hit that heel and you don't feel it but the lows are still traveling up the body. And that's why we do see a lot of the shin splints. We see the knee issues, hip issues, low back issues, because those impacts still are going through the body and they're going through the body in a way that is not designed to absorb them. So um, yes, you want a forefoot landing on all those drills, midfoot to forefoot. Okay, awesome. Yeah, because I think, again, like with that high knee drill, like you're, that's where you're forced to land. So would you... Um, recommend then any kind of drills without shoes or just I, well just, so that's the newest I mean I never thing. have my athletes do that but I'm just curious if yes you, yeah I mean for us I think like the most people's feet by that time in life they're going to be 30 years deconditioned right so it, it would take it takes a long time so True. currently my record I've, I've been in the barefoot shoes probably three months now and I tell you my feet hurt Oh yeah, they okay. hurt. I mean, and I mean, this is what's crazy is I, I've run every day almost since I was 13, and I mean, I lift, I do all this stuff, and my my feet are still very weak, and so it was like eureka to me. So 
I started off the first month and walking in them and doing just light skips. And what's interesting is your body will stop you at the point that you can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we have the big cushion shoes, we can keep running for hours. Whereas that loads are going to places it shouldn't go. And we we're going past our physical tolerance level. So, um, so maybe bar- so barefoot shoes, not first. For, right. Not for, uh, um, heavy duty interval workouts yeah, or anything. No, like no, that. no, no. I would say, I would say, um, like there's a company called Ultra, A-L-T-R-A, and they make a cushion wide box shoe. I would recommend that for your actual intervals and workouts and drills. Okay. And then throughout the day, they did a study and it was uh, at Loughborough University with uh, Vivo, I believe. And they showed that in six months, if you just walked in a minimalist shoe, you increase the cross-sectional area and muscle strength over 60%. And as we know, that foot's our only contact point to the ground. So what I my, what I generally recommend is walk in those shoes during the day, wear like an ultra or wide box shoe when you actually run or work out. Okay. And um, speaking of shoes, that's really excellent advice because I'm always asked about what type of shoes people right. wear. And, um, you know, my coach used to run, own a running shoe store. So we did a little video and he said, well, mm-hmm. it depends on if you pronate or supinate, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So but, and um, yeah, so even to the pronation, supination, that then the shoe itself, the shoe is really not even the question. It is we have to build our foot back up. Right. And so if we over pronate or if we over supinate, those are issues within the intrinsic, extrinsic muscles of the foot, right? And so our foot is, it, for, for 99% of people, it's the issue that our foot has been detrained by having to basically being braced and resting for 10, 20 30 years so of course they're going to overpronate because when you're in a shoe the body actually doesn't have to use the medial longitudinal arch right so that's where what's called the adductor hallucis is and that muscle starts to drop and so we see people stay in this pronated position essentially where they land in right and we see their knee go in and then yes. we see them come back out and they come up that's called overpronation and that's generally caused from a weak in immobility at the big toe but also the the adductor Hollis muscle not doing its job, but also the medial longitudinal arch. And so it's as simple, honestly, as just walking in those shoes, making the feet work a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they could do or they could do barefoot foot strengthening exercises. That's yeah, I was thinking there's and probably not think, yes, and, and, strength training will obviously and, help with that as well. Exactly. Incorporating the strength training forces those intrinsic extrinsic muscles to work. And then then they can essentially wear the shoe that's a wide box shoe with a little bit of cushion they'll be fine but um and and for the long term that's going to be the best for people period like anything else is essentially a crutch or a brace okay um that reminds me that like when people go from uh training to maybe they're starting which starting to be ready for spikes and i think Mm -hmm. that varies per individual and when you're ready for spikes Mm -hmm. uh, track spikes as a beginner sprinter uh, or i don't know what what your opinions are about that um, because you do when you're going from a supported shoe to the spikes you're not supported in the spikes so you better make sure i think that that all of those muscles you just mentioned are trained and strong enough to support your body weight that impact you know um from your mm-hmm. body weight and sprinting and you know without that support because the spikes are generally not supported not only that but if you have a stiff plate which i always recommend a flexible plate for beginner sprinters and you know the stiff plates kind of harsh on the uh the achilles uh, mm-hmm. the stiff plate you know it's like propelling you forward uh so 
like what do you have like what what's your experience with that like for a beginner sprinter like but yeah. obviously the barefoot shoe is great advice because that will right. help and for us here we do beach running which yeah I that's why i saw some of your videos and you guys yeah. do a lot of beach running so anything they're doing like that is great you know just simple things that can that they don't even realize is going to be very helpful for them in the long run yes yeah, so i mean all those little tendons and muscles oh yeah. yes for sure yeah and you know um the biggest thing is to, to transition to the spike it's kind of along the lines that we spoke about i think number one do they even need to be in them like so like if there's no looming competition if they're months say they start in august and they're running in june i mean keep them out of them until they need to actually be in them right Mm -hmm. And if, so if, if for they beginner, what month would you say start practicing? And yeah, if you start your training I in mean, August for a June meet, yeah, I mean, for a new person, it would be most likely around March, right? Because we want to spend a, a decent amount of time working on the foot health itself, right? And build them up to be successful in the long run. And you know, it, I don't like to shortcut and cause long-term issues for short-term gain. Because, you know, generally speaking, they wouldn't run much faster in the barefoot shoe versus a spike to begin with, if they're not even physically ready for the spike, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then that tends to cause some injuries sometimes when they get into spike. Oh. Quickly. <laughs> it's almost instantly, so. It's yeah. like, be, be very conservative with the spikes for sure. And to know they're gonna come, and you you'll know when you're ready for them to come right. also yeah they get, they get very excited and then yes you know like because they really yeah. want it they're excited about track and they want to buy the spikes and yes. they want to get in the spikes sure. and, you know but it you yeah be patient. The, I keep telling the, the beginner sprinters like you have to be patient um yes. and, and it pays off like the, the yeah like you said you took you five years you know yeah yeah, yeah. Definitely. it took me mm -hmm. yeah it took me three years to become a world champion um, you know, from basically I ran a minute and 30 seconds in my 400. That was my fastest yeah. 400. Um, oh, my screen just moved. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I get, it just, it takes time. And I just kept showing up. Like I showed up right. three, three times a week for training and four times a week for strength training. Right. Um, so is that something that you, a formula that you find, like yeah. how many times a week should a beginner sprinter run? I like the formula you just said for sure. Yeah. If they can find a good program, good coach, that'd be perfect. You yeah. know, for well, sure. in our in our warrior community, I I give three workouts every month that they can try. I give a short sprint workout, a medium, like say a two hundred meter type workout, right. uh, tempo that sort of thing, and then I give a long interval for you know it would be like uh, a volume type workout for a four hundred meter runner. So still not volume for like a mile right. or anything like that. Um, but maybe like a 500, 400, 300 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I give three types of workouts that they can try and try to get faster every week up. Um, right. But yeah, I find that if you're just running once a week, that actually is not great either because, you know, you're more apt to uh, go too hard that day mm -hmm. and maybe pull something. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about yeah, that? Not one day. It's, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so running is they just have to be adapted to the stressors and rigors of running. And so the more we repeat that or we have repeat uh, exposures to stress, the more resilient we get to it. 
And so that's what the consistency will allow them to do because, you know, as you know, your shapes, posi positions, and velocities change at every one of those distances. So um, the better they get at moving at the short distances, the better economy they're going to have at the 400, 500 distances as well. True. So if they're able to allot that time, three would be great. Awesome. Um, okay, so uh, any other, to wrap it up, like any other advice that, or, or why would you actually, maybe I'll say, why would you say that sprinting might be a great way for, you know, to keep healthy while aging? For someone who hasn't sprinted and been like, you know, maybe why it might be access more accessible than they think. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think it's accessible to everybody if they kind of, if they just open their mind to the many possibilities and the ways that you can go about it. So we, uh, we do something called sprint interval training. And essentially that's where we incorporate that in at the start of our workouts at the end of the dynamic warm-up. And they'll they'll basically work on kind of like you said, different energy systems. So one day, one day may be short six seconds, and then one day may be 15 seconds, and then one day may be in the 30-second range. So everybody we actually train with our in uh, our personal training, they actually do sprint interval trainings. And so we just change the modalities sometimes. So if they're just starting. They can sprint, but maybe we put them on a prowler to where it's low impact, you know. And so integrating in different modalities. So the prowler is the push, the push sled. Yeah, Just that would be like a pushing know. sled. Yeah, yeah, so they can push the sled, go high intensity, low impact as we begin to build their tissues up over time. And so sprinting is an invaluable tool. It's one of the most anabolic drivers of exercise you can do. It's very effective in a short time frame. It's, you know, four minutes total cumulative work. Four minutes is just as effective as 45 minutes of aerobic work, you know. And so, um, the, as you already talked about, BDNF, it increases telomere length. Uh, it increases, decreases, it, it helps with sarcopenia, dynopenia. Uh, it actually potentiates the, the central nervous system to help with strength training. Um it, it, it's all the fastest muscle fibers that give the body shape and tone. Stronger bones, I would say, too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Improve bone density. So I would encourage everybody in some capacity to incorporate sprinting. And even if it's, you know, on a, you know, on a sled or whatever they have access to and whatever their body will allow. That's really awesome. I totally appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. You are definitely, absolutely. you know, like I said, you've. Uh, I, I think it's amazing how much, how many hours you've put into learning and that you're able to share that with all of us, um, and your clients, like how lucky your clients are, because I know that you've, you know, you took a lot of, um, you know, Polican's classes, Charles's classes, and, you know, you're, yeah, and also, you know, there's the invaluable, uh, you know, questions that we got to ask him and that he could always answer for right. us, it was like an encyclopedia. Yeah, literally, it was the Q&A and just the questions that were yeah. invaluable. Like literally had an answer for any question that mm -hmm. you could give him. And I loved how he would kind of put his eyebrow up and think about it for a second, like he was researching the files right. on the brain, you know, and then all of a sudden he'd just come up with the answer. I remember <laughs> I asked him once, like, um, would it, is it okay to take an ice bath before a competition and right. how long before, like how many hours? And he sat there and he did that and he said, 36 hours. And that was it, like no explanation. Right. Because I remember later he said he didn't have time to explain to everybody why. Right. He just, you know, it's like, now that I do the research, I understand because it right. maybe took 
about 150 research articles to come up yes. with that conclusion. And you For can't sure. explain all of those 150 no. research articles, but yeah, yeah, when somebody doesn't know what an ice bath is in the class, you know, so. yeah, right, yeah. So that was, I mean, I just re really appreciate him, and I appreciate you for um, helping to continue to share his wisdom and absolutely, yeah, for encouraging people to sprint as well. So um, yeah, how that's people, it. How can people find you online or? Uh, uh, our business page is Train Vibe. We got an Instagram, Train Vibe. Um, and then my personal one's J Mac Fitness. So, all right, cool. Well, thank you so much again. Mahalo and aloha. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you. Have, have a good day, guys.